Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Brad Gray. I serve as the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church right here in central Pennsylvania, uh, specifically Paxinos, Pennsylvania. I am so happy to uh, be speaking with you on another episode of Ministry Minded. Uh, make sure if you've never connected with this show before, go to graceupongrace.net. That's where you can find sort of all my ministerial resources. And make sure to go to startingthebaptist.com. Uh, you can find uh, what's going on at uh, at the church and uh, what we're doing over there. Uh, we've had a really busy few weeks, and uh, we're looking forward to um, some uh, really busy weeks coming in, in the weeks to come. Uh, and uh, actually, I'm really excited for that. I'm really uh, thrilled that we can be busy ministerially, uh, especially in comparison to uh, what we were doing last year, which was um, not as much. <laughs> and, and of course, that was uh, forced upon us by the uh, global pandemic and whatnot. But regardless, uh, we have like VBS coming up. We have a short term missions team that's been going on this week. Uh, there has been um, just a lot of activity, a lot of um, of, of fun and faith-filled ministry, which is where, uh, that's the spot where I like to be. That's kind of like the space I want to operate in. Um, but it's also a good segue into today's show. Uh, so today is different. I have a guest on the show. Uh, I've been wanting to have him on for a while. Uh, we were able to connect um, through Facebook, which is, you know, the fact that I'm able to connect with some pastors and ministers and people who want to pastor pastors um, is like the only redeeming grace of Facebook still. Um, but regardless, uh, I'm so excited to have on the show today uh, Josh Hedger. So Josh is, uh, he once worked for Midwestern, uh, the seminary that I'm currently attending, but he also is a church planner out in Kansas City, uh, Emmaus Church, and uh, he's there with a bunch of other uh, elders, and there's a lot of great thinkers and uh, and other sort of lay pastors, if you will, uh, that are out of that church, and they're just doing a great job with that church plant. And uh, I was so excited to be able to connect with him a couple weeks ago uh, and just his invitation for uh, for me to just kind of share 
what I'm burdened by, what is, uh, what is, um, keeping me, uh, um, uh, sort of low. I was in a spiritual lull, uh, a while back and, and, and Josh just kind of put it out there to connect. And, uh, I was so thankful for that. And, uh, he and I just have a great conversation here, uh, talking about, um, uh, the ministry and its busyness and ministerial health and how a pastor can really uh, situate himself for um, uh, a ministry of longevity uh, to serve the Lord um, for the long haul, if you will. And uh, which is to say this, that, that there are great seasons of busyness, but there's a, there's a fallacy if a pastor finds his identity in that busyness, if he finds uh, his quote success in ministry in that uh, in that busyness, and I think that that's what we're trying to articulate here through this episode is how can a, a pastor be resilient and restful in a ministry when there's so many stressors and so many uh, distractions, so many ways in which pastors are are, are not able to be uh, vulnerable and honest. And that to me is one of the things that I've, I've striven for in my own ministry is just being vulnerable with those to with whom I'm ministering alongside of is and, and, and making sure that they know that I'm a disciple too. Uh, I'm one who is learning and, and growing and, and I'm, I'm sharing my growth perhaps, but um, I think there is a problem uh, it arises if a pastor is not able to share their weaknesses. And so that's what we are talking about here, how, uh, how pastors can avoid burnout and fallout and how they can navigate uh, some of those stressors that come up in their lives and how they're able to sort of develop a deliberate and, and restful ministry in which they are able to minister for the long haul, for the long, for the long term. So, I was so thankful. Josh is the perfect uh, sort of uh, voice to articulate some of these thoughts uh, with. And so I'm really thankful that he was able to come on, really thankful that he was able to take some time and, and just and talk about uh, his his story, talk about his faith and how he's uh, been able to, to, to find and put to practice some of the things that we're talking about and how he was able to sort of come to the same conclusion. So uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation. I hope you're blessed by it. If you're uh, uh, just a, a a lay person, so to speak, in the church. I hope this will uh, help open your eyes to uh, those in sort of full-time ministry, if you will, and also uh, allow you to pray for them. If you're a pastor, I hope this conversation is able to give you insight on how you too can find rest and resiliency in your pastoral ministry. So whatever your context is, whatever uh, circumstance God has you in currently, uh, I pray that you're, you're blessed uh, by this conversation. I always am, that's always what I want to do is, is, is to be a blessing, uh, be an encouragement, uh, be one who is a, is a Barnabas, if you will. Uh, I want to be known for encouraging those who are in the ministry, whatever that sort of looks like. So, uh, I hope you enjoyed this one. I had a lot of fun talking with Josh. So before we get there, uh, there's a word, uh, coming up right now. Um, from the sponsor, Fresh Roasted Coffee. So listen to that, and then we'll just jump right in to the, the rest of the show. God bless you. Do you like coffee? 
I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or pour over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. Well, Josh, uh, I am so happy that you're uh, on the show on Mystery Minded. Thank you for uh, being available. Uh, thank you for uh, kind of clearing your schedule and allowing this to happen. Uh, I, there's a lot I want to get into, but I just feel like to I, I should just let you kind of introduce yourself to anyone who might be listening, kind of just where you are in ministry and kind of what you're doing out there uh, in the Midwest, so to speak. So just kind of let us know who you are. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me, Brad. I, uh, I've enjoyed getting to know you over the last several months as we've had several conversations and, um, honored to, honored to join you here today. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, man. I, yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, and I think today's topic's a great topic. So I'm looking forward to getting into, into that. Um, man, you mentioned, you mentioned to me that you're a, a third generation pastor and, uh, and, yeah. and I'm similar. I'm, I'm a fifth generation pastor, I'm not trying to trump wow. you. There, you know, I'm not <laughs> yeah. trying to, to show you up, but uh, but fifth generation here in in the uh, in the words of Paul, I am better um, on on the uh, the generational line. Um, but no, so so fifth generation pastor. Uh, I'm a I'm a guy who wanted to uh, not be a fifth generation pastor at, at the beginning. You know, it's mm. kind of that uh, I was chasing some other things, and um, just you know, I always say that the Lord just outran me, and uh, and in His mm. grace, under a mango tree in um, in West Africa. Um, just kind of grappled mm. my heart and uh, and pulled me back into a desire for ministry. Of course, since that happened under a mango tree in West Africa at the time, I was like, well, my life's going to be spent under mango trees in West Africa. You know, it's kind of that wherever you're at when he calls you to ministry, you're like, this is what ministry is. And uh, and he used just a series of things to really kind of pull my heart into pastoral ministry. And so I'm uh, I'm 40 years old. I've been in pastoral ministry here for. Um, to some sort of pastoral ministry for 21 years, uh, began at, at age 19. And so, um, have, have some years behind me. I've been a youth pastor at several churches from, um, varying from 300 to, um, 3000. Um, I've been, um, a, uh, uh, a church planner at two different churches. So I'm in my second church plant now, uh, planted one and handed it off and planted another one and had ups and downs and in those different, um, different places, uh, both the, the, the joys and the, the burdens and the sorrows. Um, and then I've also served at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary as Director of Church Planning and Partnerships. Um, kind of did that alongside of planting this second church here in Kansas City, where our family lives now. And so we've been here in Kansas City for um, about eight years now, 
And, uh, and this is our second stint here. I actually went to Midwestern Seminary back in the day um, and, uh, and then moved away and then moved back to plant this church. And so our church will be seven years old in, uh, in mm. January, uh, th- this particular church will be. Uh, and uh, man, just uh, such a joy to be able to, um, to pastor it and to lead it. Uh, we have uh, seen God's, you know, deep grace uh, upon us. We, we started with nine of us, and um, pre-COVID, we're around the 350 mark. Uh, right now, we are um, kind of sitting around that 280 mark in the post-COVID um, world. And uh, but have just seen God's faithfulness to us through that, and now we're beginning to see the uh, the joys of sending out people, both internationally and across the United States, for for church planning and missions. And so. Um, kind of a continual process of multiplying ourselves. We just sent out a couple yesterday. And so uh, really thankful for that, that joy. I'm married. Uh, I've been married for uh, almost 16 years now. Uh, my wife is a licensed professional counselor and uh, specializes in trauma um, therapy. And so she's also the clinical director of her agency, which is called My Counselor on dot online and uh and so it's a christian counseling agency they work with a lot of pastors and pastors wives um they also do you know they're used by a lot of churches and denominations as their resource for um for counseling that the pastor just can't handle for expertise reasons and those sorts of things yeah. and so i um, mean she's brought a lot of wisdom to me um and helped me be able to do a lot of um uh, just a lot, a lot better, a lot more focused, a lot healthier version of myself in pastoring, but also of our our people. And then we have two children. We have a daughter who uh, who's almost 22. We adopted her when she was 14 years old, and uh, through the foster care system. And so she's uh, she'll be 22 this August. Uh, and then we have a son who is six. He'll be seven in January. He was actually born the day after our church launched. And uh, so we had three pastors. Two of us had children the first two days of our church launching. And so I don't know why we that was that was probably kind of a dumb planning process. But uh, <laughs> the one pastor that did not have a child at that point was the one pastor who had never pastored before in his life. And so it was kind of like we both had kids. We handed this brand new church baby to him and said, hey, keep us alive for two weeks while we're uh, with our firstborn children, you know, type of thing. But but yeah, so our son is six. So we have got one going into first grade and one that's uh, stepping into career um, and, uh, and kind of learning how to parent through both of those. But we really have never parented between six and 14. So everything with our son is kind of a new world for us in those age groups, you know. So um, so that's our family, man, and kind of where we're at in ministry here in Kansas City, the dadgum middle of the uh, of the United States, right, right in the center. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's actually when you were sharing the story, that's one of the things that just jumped out to me. <laughs> How can you just tell me more about like the process of coming from from West Africa to the Midwest of the United States and just yeah. kind of what that looked like and uh, how God kind of like and again, he brought you here and then he brought you back here and how you've found really solid roots in the Midwest yeah. of the United States. <laughs> so, so my roots in the Midwest actually came, you know, before Africa, I, I lived, my, my family's all from the St. Louis area. Um, and mm-hmm. St. Louis and Kansas city are very different in many ways. Uh, we, a lot of times we'll say that St. Louis is the westernmost East coast city and Kansas city <laughs> is the easternmost West coast city, right? It's kind of a KC feels very West coast and St. Louis feels very East coast hard, hard, 
mm. um, brick, you know, kind of aggressive, probably more like a little bit where, where you're at and, and Kansas City's like flip flops and shorts that, you know, wedding type of thing, you know, very more West <laughs> yeah. Coast chill. Um, and so, um, so, so I, I've kind of grown up around this area. I, I, as a kid, really from kindergarten through my junior year of high school, I was mostly in the Memphis, Tennessee area. And, uh, and so even though my family's roots are here in the Missouri area, I kind of grew up down there. My dad was a pastor, um, in that area. And so, um, was down there. So I kind of had that Southern raising as well, you know, very prim and proper first Baptist Southern churches. There you go. Um, Bellevue Baptist Church, uh, and mm, with, uh, mm-hmm. with Adrian Rogers, we were there for a while and, um, and some of those sorts of things. And so I kind of have that ingrained with in me, you know, if you don't say yes, ma'am and no, sir, then, you know, <laughs> you're, uh, pretty much, um, not, not capable of being saved type of, uh, culture. Um, <laughs> yeah. so it's like the worst case that sin is not to say yes, ma'am and no, sir. So I was raising that type of culture there. Um, but, but then when we moved back to, to Missouri, um, you know, I, I've moved up here to uh, uh, to Kansas City to go to seminary. And man, there was just something different here in the city that I was just kind of like, this is, uh, and th- this really kind of fits the vibe of my my life. Like, I, I enjoy the culture, the people here. Um, and and so, you know, I had moved to West Africa and experienced uh, missions there. I've been all over the world doing mission stuff. And and to be honest, when I came back from my extended time in West Africa, when when I had lived there, like it was hard to step back into just any church in the United States. Um, mm. I, and, and part of that was my own unhealthiness, and part of that was you know um, American Christianity. I think unhealthiness, um, but but I think a lot of it was my own of not being able to actually um, see and value what was there, and and so I had to kind of grow through that young. 20 year old, 21 year old angst, you know, that was in that season of my life and, um, and, uh, and kind of step into a love and appreciation of, of Christ's bride here and, and that bride's expression here in the United States. But, you know, Kansas City, man, is a unique place on the southeast side of the city. Um, you are like at the edge of the Bible Belt, right? So it is, I mean, Springfield, Missouri, which is two and a half hours from here is considered the, um, the most biblically minded city in the United States, right? And so it doesn't mean that mm. it's the most Christian, it just means it's the most, the, the culture there, the morals there, um, <laughs> kind of the whole atmosphere is the most biblically minded. And so that kind of permeates. So there's tons of churches and large churches kind of towards the southeast side of the city. And as you move across the map from southeast to northwest, um, it becomes less and less Christian across the city to where the, the county of Kansas City, that's the most northwest county of the city, um, some, some statistics from, you know, from things are saying it's around 8% evangelical. And so it just mm-hmm. kind of becomes, you kind of feeling like you're heading more west um, and unreached as you move more northwest, even in our own metroplex. And so, um, and we live on that north side, my, my house, our, our home, our church is up towards the north part of that, where there's just not as much of an expression of, uh, of, of the faith there conservative in a lot of ways on the north side of the city here all kinds of fun blogs about democrats and republicans and conservatives and liberals <laughs> and the river dividing that in the city and we're on the north side that's conservative but but not gospel and so hmm. so it's been a really um kind of interesting culture to learn of how to uh, present the gospel there and um and then, you know, which we were welcome to get into at any point, but then we're, we're just a few minutes away from a seminary, but one of the largest seminaries in the, in the world at Midwestern. And so we have a decent proportion of seminary students and professors at our church as well. 
which is just brings a whole different type of culture and atmosphere into kind of yeah. how to do ministry and what to do there, you know? So, <laughs> um, so yeah, we kind of find ourselves in a unique place there. Yeah. Well, and what I, I think your, your experience as you've kind of like, um, hinted at or indicated, I think plays ro- really well into what I want to get into, uh, this morning. Um, and it, I think also too, I think, uh, it behooves me to kind of like share just how we got more connected. I think there's been like this <laughs> with some pastors I've done podcasts with, it's always that weird, like we've connected through Twitter or Facebook or something. Right. And then we get even more connected later on that weird, like online relationship vortex. Um, but it was, I think it just, this little anecdote kind of shares more of, I think what's so necessary in modern pastoral ministry, but also I think indicates uh, kind of what's at your heart, as you've shared with me, is just you posted a couple months ago just how, you know, it was almost like a blank check for pastors to just share with you whatever's on their heart. And that's mm. that to me is like, it may not seem to some people like a really uh, sort of uh, important or necessary thing, but for whatever reason, it just struck me as so significant. Uh, this idea that that regardless of what is being shared, there's just this sense of of openness and trust, and this sense of just let me be an ear uh, or maybe even a shoulder to cry on. And um, I think that that uh, I, that kind of segues us into what I want to talk about, just like pastoral stressors, expectations, these ministerial sort of pressures that really creep in and can crowd out. And I think one of the chief ones, uh, as I found in a short amount of time of being a senior pastor is just that, that there's this sense of, uh, at least in my particular context, um, I'm pastoring a church, I'm leading this church and I'm coming up with all the sermons, I'm visiting folks and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and there's that sense of like, I'm the one doing all this stuff. And then there's never a time in which I'm coming alongside a brother and just like venting. And um, anyway, that's a lot of rambling. But have you how how have you sort of navigated that? And can you just talk more about the idea and the need, I would say, for like, I would say, just blank check listening, uh, so to speak, in pastoral ministry as you've come alongside other guys, perhaps that have felt those those pressures so, so palpably in their own context. Absolutely, man. Um, You know, one, one of the most difficult things about being a pastor is kind of the, uh, the expectation that in some cases is truly put onto you. And in some cases that we um, internalize upon ourselves, we we anticipate other people have this expectation, right? But, but it's the expectation that, that if if I share my weaknesses and my struggles, um, not only am I considered a faithless pastor, right, <laughs> a a weak pastor yeah. and a strong pastor, not capable of the job, um, it might actually cost me my ministry, mm. right. And so, I mean, if you have a guy in your church who's strug- who's uh, who's an accountant and they're struggling with pornography and they confess pornography, well, they're probably not going to lose their job. Right, they're going to get discipled, walked with. Let's let's beat that. And no one at their accounting firm cares if they're looking at porn at home, right? But if a pastor goes, "Hey, I'm struggling with pornography, and I and I want help," and he confesses and repents that, well, there's a good chance that costs him his job, which costs his family a whole lot. And there's like this other sense of I can't confess my sins, I can't share my struggles. If a pastor's like struggling with depression, they're like, "Man, I'm struggling to get out of bed." 
you know, I, I just think that there's these expectations that if we share our weaknesses, like it could cost us um, a whole lot, you know, w- within our lives. And, and because of that, then um, a lot of us don't have people to share those things with. We don't feel like we can share them in our church. You know, if you're in a community group, it's like, can I really be open and honest about my sin? You know, everyone else is confessing sin. Can I do that in my group? Um, can I talk about my depression? Um, and can we expose that my wife is in counseling for severe trauma and uh, from childhood and actually um, actually walk through the struggles of that, right? Which is a situation that's in, in my life right now, my wife and I. And can, can we talk about that with our community and actually be loved and cared for and, and still followed and, and all those aspects? And so, you know, one of the things that we, that we find with pastors is pastors need someone to talk to. Should that culture be in their church that they can do that? Yeah, it should. But it's not in every church. And even, even the churches that it is, like, like mine, I mean, we have a re- ridiculously strong culture of being able to do that at my church. I still need other people outside my church to talk to, right? Mm. I'm close friends with my elders. They know um, most details about my life and any struggle I'm having. Um, I still need other friends outside of them um, who are just purely, um, um, purely confidants um, on my side who can really just walk with me as a person, right? Their, their loyalty is not first to my church, but to me in the sense of really, Mm. they want to care for me first and foremost in those moments. And so that's really important for a pastor to have. And I just find most guys don't have that. Yeah. uh, I would say that too. Like there's just like this, I don't know where it comes from. Maybe you can enlighten me, but there, like there's still this like almost pervading sense that the calling to ministry is like automatically lofts you into this like higher plane of like spiritual enlightenment or something to where you're automatically so to speak, better uh, than, you know, the regular person in the church pew. And because of that, there's like this pedestal that I think is right in some senses, but that's also very precarious in other senses, this pedestal that pastors operate on. And there's like a very, very small like Venn diagram crossover between being vulnerable and being sort of like this one that people can look to and look up to. And like, I feel like in some contexts that Venn diagram middle point has really diminished almost to the point of being non-existent, which I think lends to this very, I would say, unhealthy way to operate in ministry as a person who's supposedly better. And then you, (laughs) pastors who can't reveal their struggles are setting themselves up for uh, for a point where they're just going to explode either with a nervous breakdown or with a severe bout of depression or perhaps you know, for lack of a better term, kind of going off the rails in some sort of tragic fall. And yeah. that's where I think like we're we're bottling up pressures in an, a healthy way. So how would you say is a good way to like develop that? I, I, that's not a lot. That's not a quick thing. How? Yeah. What's a good way? Like if a, your church isn't familiar with that sort of like pastoral honesty, uh, what what would you say is a good way to kind of like develop that that culture, uh, yeah. if you will? Man, I think there's so many directions we could go with that, right? And so many different <laughs> type of points that we that we could talk about on that. We could do multiple podcasts, um, and which would be fun. I'd, I'd love that. I have my computer set up now, so we'd we'd be good to go. Um, <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Um, but man, I you know I think the the idea, which is which is a true and good idea from scripture, obviously that that pastors are to be above reproach, 
right? Mm-hmm. That that idea can often, in many people's minds and, and hearts, mean pastors are supposed to be without sin. Mm-hmm. And that's just not a possibility, right? We're not, I mean, <laughs> you mean we're free from our sins. So yes, it's a possibility in the sense of you are free from this walk in freedom, but we're all going to face temptations and we're all going to sin, you know, for, um, for, for the rest of our lives, hopefully less and less. Um, and less and less in the same ways, but, but above reproach is, is more about a pastor not being, um, not having the character of sin, right? That there's areas in their lives that are not, um, dominated by sin that are not, um, Hey, we see this pattern in your life consistently. And then I'd even say, Brad, like if someone sees a pattern of sin in my life and they bring it to me and, and I see it and I confess it and I repent of it. And I'm willing to walk through whatever type of restoration needs to take place over that. Um, that actually is a, is a very biblical and gospel illustration of reconciliation, right? And so I would yeah. look at a pastor yeah. in my church and go, that's not an issue of being uh, not above reproach. It's actually, man, they were blinded to the sin. It was brought to them. And they're going through the right steps to, to walk in this, right? There, there was a church that I was on staff at as a, as a, past, as a student pastor, and, and I confessed sin to the elders there. And in doing so, man, they, uh, um, you know, they, they fired me effective immediately. And, mm. and I don't even have a big complaint about that. I'm like, okay, great. Um, you know, I, particularly in that situation where I was at, I was like, I, I can actually see what they're saying. And I probably would, would at least put a guy that's on my team on leave. Um, if I didn't fire them, it'd be, okay, you need to take a break for us to walk through some healing and restoration in this area. Um, but, but you know what, Brad, the, the problem for me, and it caused a lot of lasting damage in me, really, and um, this was early in my ministry, but the problem was that not one of those pastors ever walked with me through that. And mm. so it was, here's a confession of sin. And then the response I got was, you're fired, and no one ever talked to me again. Right? Mm. There was no, we want to counsel you through this. No, we want to care for you. No, we want to disciple you. Um, and so growing up as a pastor's kid, maybe you had this yourself, but there's kind of this Again, it could be intrinsic or it could actually be the expectation of others, but just the feeling of I had to look right, sound right, behave right. You know, there's kind of that expectation of the pa- on the pastor's kid and not even as much from my parents as from, from other people, you know, type of thing, but, but kind of grew up with that. And, and so for the first time in my life at that church, I was like, I'm not okay. Like, it was like, I finally was like, I'm going to confess, I'm not okay. There's sin here. Like, that's riddling me. I'm not okay. And the response I got to I'm not okay is, you're right. You're not okay. Get out. <laughs> and, and so, and so, but it like just completely like destroyed me in the sense of like anxiety. Um, I mean, I spent the next um, 15 years of ministry full of anxiety from that anxiety of mm. always being found out as a fake, always, even when there wasn't things that were there that were sinfulness. It was just, that, that frustration. And so, man, as a pastor here, I have fought really, really hard um, to, to help our church have a culture, both with our elders and with our staff and with our members, a culture that makes confession and repentance and reconciliation very common. Mm. Right. And so in our liturgy, um, every Sunday morning, we have confession, assurance of pardon, right? We, we do that every week in our, in our liturgy. Um, in our community groups, they're designed around confession and profession. And so, you know, profession of, man, in the sermon, I heard this and it made me feel this way or think this way about God. And man, I'm professing that was like 
and that was encouraging to me, or that was like life changing for me, or you know, whatever. It just made me worship him. And confession, man. I, and the sermon was talking about this, and this is not my life. Like we want confession to be an active practice of every member, and that includes our pastors. And yeah. so that that that's interesting. You know, my community group, my community group leader. I don't I don't lead a group, um, but my leader of my group is very protective of that culture. And anyone who signs up who gets placed in our group, he actually will take them to lunch or to dinner and he sits down with them. And he's just like, hey, I want you to understand the unique responsibility you have of being in a group with a pastor. And uh, and then he just kind of explains to them, our pastors have to have a place where they can be normal human beings, right? Not superheroes <laughs> on a stage, yeah. with all the Bible answers and the steadfast faith that never wavers. They have to be able to have doubts and concerns and frustrations and, and confess sins. And, and, and the people in our group have to be able to receive that, to not be threatened by that, to love them in that and, uh, and to care for them. And if you, if that's not something you feel like you can do, that's okay. We'll find you another group, but if you're going to be in this group, this is what it means for you. Right. And, and by doing that, it makes knowing that he does that with every group, every person that comes in our group, my wife and I feel so safe. Because we know that everyone who's who steps into that group has gone through that that process and has said we can handle that, right? We we're mm. we're there for the pastor that way, and so I think it's just this cultural thing that we're trying from from the worship service to the way our groups work to the way that we respond if someone has a struggle or a failure on our team. You know, if they if they sin or if they have marriage issues, we'll say, man, like we love you more than we love you in that position. And so hmm. we want you to be able to take the time, right? This isn't punishment. We want you to be able to take the time to be able to have healing in that area. And so what does it look hmm. like for us to walk with you through that healing? What does it look like for us to help you in that doubt, you know, and whether that's pastoral counseling, professional counseling, um, and we might say, hey, take six months off. Like who, who's your who's your associate leader in that, that we can help, you know, get in place, you know, or hey, what, what elder, you need, you need four months just to kind of process this, take four months. You know, and so just kind of developing that um, culture of long-term care is really important. Oh, yeah. And, and, well, the, the story you shared is is quite like eye-opening, but it reminds me too that like there's this, I would say, dearth of understanding that pastors are disciples too. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> we're called to disciple, make disciples and baptize them into the kingdom as Jesus says in Matthew 28. But that doesn't mean that we've like graduated into not being a disciple anymore. Right. Uh, and, and I think that you see that heart in, in Paul's pastoral epistles, especially to Timothy, like you're a disciple and you're discipling others as you're being a disciple yourself. Yeah. But we've like, and maybe that's like a, a generalization to say that we've forgotten that. But I think for, in a lot of senses, we've, we've, neglected that aspect as if you know the pastor has it all figured out and like you right. said they can't yeah. waver they can't they can't voice their struggles and I, I won't take credit for this this is um i don't know if you know him but pastor garrett kell he pastors delray baptist church in virginia and he um he preached at a conference uh, of for pastors up here recently and he said a pastor is to be a model of resisting sin and repenting of sin, which mm. I think is, mm. is like so profound yeah, yeah. because we usually stop at the first part. He's a model of resisting sin, but then we also, and we like, as you've hinted at, we don't want to make room 
uh, sometimes for this idea that pastors are models of repenting of sin too, yeah, yeah. Uh, as if that that's not an aspect of what a disciple is. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely agree with that, man. It's such a simple and profound idea, you know, and yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, you, you asked uh, specifically, oh, what can we do to help our churches with that? And everything I shared, I think, is, is one of those. Uh, and another simple thing, uh, like a resource, is a book called Resilient Ministry um, by mm. Bob Burns. Resilient Ministry by Bob Burns. And uh, you can get it on Amazon um, or, or whatnot. But um, the book is based out of seven years of research by Trinity Evangelical and Covenant Seminaries. And, um, and so it's seven years uh, of research, uh, billions of dollars put into this. They actually held all these pastor summits where they invited pastors and their wives to these different summits and just did, um, man, so much survey and questions and projects and just all of these types of things, really looking at what are the stressors in pastoral ministry and what are the key needs mm. for resilient long-term pastoral ministry, right? And, and I actually think it would be a helpful book for any pastors. Like, I want to help create a healthier culture in our church for our pastors and our ministers. Um, one, for, for your elder team to read, for your staff to read with you, you know, because it, it applies to staff as well, not just, you know, pastors. And um, But then also, you know, you can start working it out from there, just, you know, larger context of people just to kind of understand the specific stressors and keys to helping, um, helping pastors just last long-term. So I think that could be a really good resource as well. Mm. Yeah, and... Uh... That's the thing that I've that I've really as uh, so I'm two years into my first real real solid uh, senior pastoral ministry position, and that's the thing that I've been trying to just like saturate myself in is is how can I prepare my heart for pastoring for the long term? You know, I've you know essays on all these different sorts of things, and there's 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 some modes that I find myself in that like I'm doing this as a sprinter. When I should be kind of like training my soul, if you will, for a marathon rather than a sprint. And I think that that's maybe you can provide some wisdom on that, because that's something I think develops over a long course of time Mm -hmm. in terms of like developing habits, uh, developing a good rhythm and a routine in terms of like this is going to help me be sustained over the long course of time rather than just how can I get a flash in the pan sort of ministry fire. Um, is there anything that you've kind of like learned or developed in terms of that? Like what is a good sort of rhythm for long-term ministry health, mm. if you will? Mm. Yeah, man, that's, that's a great question. And I'm 40, again, 21 years into this, I am by far the slowest I've ever been in pastoral ministry and just life in general. Mm. And mm. maybe that's because I'm old and I just move slower. I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, but, but I, you know, it's something I'm learning to embrace, man. Um, I'm learning to embrace slowness in life, my personal life and in ministry. And, um, man, when I was early on, it was like, speak at everything I could speak at, take every opportunity, Hmm. go on every mission trip possible. Um, just drive, drive, drive. And, you know, and, and to be a fair man, like I worked at several churches that were large and fast growing churches, and they just had this extremely strong drive mentality with their staff. You know, it was like mm-hmm. as a student pastor, it was always next event, next event, next event, bigger numbers, yeah. bigger numbers, <laughs> that type of drive. Um, and then I planted a church and the church that I planted, um, the, the first church I planted, man, it grew from 24 to over 500 in six months. 
and just kind mm. of exploded on us. And a lot of new believers and baptisms in those first several years. And it, you know, it kept going from, from there for a couple of years. And, um, and, it, and I was, when we planted, I was the only pastor. So I didn't plant with a plurality. It was just me. We were 500 before we had any other pastors on the team. And man, I would like lay in bed and cry myself to sleep um, because I was so mm. overwhelmed. Um, but yet, like, I didn't feel the, fr- I didn't have the freedom to slow down. Like, I felt like I had mm. to just keep going faster, faster, producing more and more. And so finally, man, I'm at this point. And, and again, a lot of this for me comes, um, I mean, I've gone through a lot of counseling myself. So a lot of, uh, a lot of things from just my anxiety and fear, I would started having, um, especially when I moved to Kansas City, I was working at Midwestern Seminary, which is right when Midwestern was kind of re, um, rebuilding itself, if you will. Dr. Allen had just come to the seminary and um, it was kind of in this critical point of we've got to grow and change or, um, or the mm. seminary is going to be uh, going to be really struggling for a long, long time. And so it was kind of a fast paced, um, hard work environment. And I was planting a church and we adopted a, a daughter um, and we got pregnant with a son and we found out was going to have a lot of medical issues um, and birth and and so there was just this stress and I was having all these anxiety attacks and different things. And so I started going to, uh, to counseling. Um, and that began to help me process a lot of the things that I had experienced and was going through. Um, and then, uh, man, in the last couple of years, I've also been in a thing called the Leaders Collective, which is a uh, leadership cohort. It's a two-year cohort. Um, and a guy named Elliot Grudem uh, leads that. And um, i just been... Um, such a blessing for me. I mean, ridiculous blessing to be a part of. And and through all of these different pieces, um, as well as then just through work with my wife, and as we kind of study counseling and study mental health and emotional health and all those aspects, and just came to this conclusion of why are we running at this stupid pace? Like, why are we doing a marathon? And, uh, or why, excuse me, why are we doing a sprint instead of a marathon? And, um, you know, and, and so we just decided to intentionally slow down. We, we moved to a new house that's a little bit outside of the city and kind of up by a lake. And so I'm sitting here in my home office to look out the window and see the lake um, in, in, in the mm. distance over a field. Um, and, and it takes me an extra nine minutes drive home than that used to, right, which isn't, isn't significant. But, but that nine minutes is like through trees in the countryside instead of the concrete city that I'm in, you know, and, um, and and we can, we can be sitting on the beach at the lake and a three minute drive out my door, you know? And so just some things that was just like, I just got to slow down. I I bought a new grill for our new house and I bought a charcoal grill. One, it tastes a lot better than gas. Right. And and two, (laughs) uh, but two, it just makes me slow down. Right. It takes Mm. longer to cook with it. And I'm like, if, if I grill three nights a week and I have to sit there for an hour while I'm grilling three nights a week, it's it's three hours a week where I'm forced to just kind of slow down and sit and contemplate and just think. Mm. And so, so embracing that in my personal life that I'm not here to impress anyone. I don't have to um, keep driving myself to please people. In fact, if I try to please people by driving, um, I'm eventually going to burn out myself and be done. I've got to learn to care for myself, which ironically within the resilient ministry um, book is one of the things that self-care is one of the five things that pastors have to learn how to engage in. And churches have to mm. learn how to let their pastors engage in that, right? Because we're, we're finite yeah. people, right? We're, we're whole creatures with physical and emotional um, spiritual, social and spiritual needs, man. And, and if we're not slowing down to care for all of those needs within our own lives, 
then we really have nothing left to pour out to our people. And so, oh, um, so, so this isn't like a, this isn't an excuse to be lazy, right? It's, <laughs> it's not, Hey, just, just sit at home all day and do nothing with yourself in, in the, in the term of self care. Um, but man, there's actually mornings that might be what you need, right? There's a morning mm-hmm. that you might be, hey, I don't need to start at 8 a.m. today. I, I need to actually take it myself till noon. And I need to go, for me, I need to go sit by the lake with in my camping chair with my journal and just sit there and stare at the lake and just be in some silent prayer, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and that's going to actually be the best thing for me so that I can actually care for our people, right? Those slow yeah, moments. Right. And so- yeah. Um, and then the other piece of it, man, is just that, like, the idea that I don't, my church doesn't have to reach any certain goal at any certain time to be faithful to God. Mm. <laughs> Does that yeah. make sense? Like, yeah. I, 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 oh, go, yeah. I have goals in my head. I mean, here's my quarterly goal. Here's my yearly goal. Here's what I'd like to do. But, but man, I'm like, you know, like, I'm going to spend more time just working at being faithful and developing disciples. And however fast the Lord decides to grow my church, that's up to him. And however fast he calls us to multiply, that's up to him. You know, like, and we've had, oh, shoot, we we have five to five to eight new pastoral residents every year at our church since our church began mm. um, that we're training to be pastors. And for the first time, we're about to hit year seven. For the first time, we actually are planning a church plant here in Kansas City from one of our residents. And that church won't be till 2023. So we'll be eight years old when we plan our first church, despite the fact that we've had five to eight new residents every year. Right. Oh, wow. So, so when you look at that, you're like, well, man, you have all the people. Why haven't you planted a church? And you're like, we could try to force that, but we've just been going, God, would you just lay on the right person's heart to plant in Kansas City? We've had guys go out from us and to other places, but, but Kansas City, would you, would you give us the right person? And finally, we had a group of guys, like four of them. Um, that said, oh, we want to plant in Kansas City together. And so we're like, mm. okay, now's the time. You know, now's the time to start working on that. And man, early on, I felt frustrated. You know, I was like, when, when is this going to happen? Like, let's plant. And our people are like, hey, we talk about planting churches all the time. We're not planting a church in Kansas City. When are we going to do that? And we're like, just just trust, trust the Lord to do this in his timing. It's not that we're being lazy and not trying to prepare for that. We're just praying for the right timing and the right person from the Lord to do that. Mm. So, so that's pe- a piece of it, man, is me slowing down in my own heart, feeling the freedom to do so. And then realizing that the Lord actually has no time frame on me and our church that he's not actually going to fulfill. Right. Mm. And so I just mm. need to faithfully, I, I need to walk faithfully day to day. And faithfully does not mean I try to kill my people um, or myself in the process of reaching some goal. Right. Mm, so yeah, I think right. COVID was a great opportunity for churches to step into that. And yeah, I right. think that some churches did and some churches didn't. I know a lot of churches that drove their people to death through COVID, trying to connect them in every way possible, um, that kept driving their staff. They are like, hey, we got to get creative to do all of these things with their staff. And they actually exhausted mm. their staff in the midst of an extremely stressful and exhausting period of, of their life. And so they yeah, just added right. more stress because no one knew how to lead in that. And yet we're making them recreate everything to lead in the midst of that. Um, and at our church, we actually just basically said, hey, COVID equals uh, self-care time. And so what we did is we did staff investment and we did, um, you know, pouring into them and giving them some rest and helping them and our people kind of be able to 
to take a moment of a breather so that um, when it's time to go again, we can, we can run. Um, <laughs> and so, um, so, you know, I think, uh, I think we've got to look for those opportunities, man, to let our people just slow yeah. down, including ourselves. Yeah. Sorry. I rambled a it's lot. So of interesting. No, no, no. There was a lot of stuff I want to go back to, but it's so interesting how you mentioned about COVID just because uh, I remember at the beginning of it, you know, there's those memes of like, Hey, use this time to like reinvent yourself. And there was those stories about how, you know, Shakespeare, he wrote all these plays during his quarantine in the 1500s. And, and then like, you know, whoever it was, uh, Isaac Newton, you know, like he came up with gravity during the, his own quarantine, like all these stories about how like you have, there's there almost like this unwritten, but felt pressure that we have to use this time to better ourselves and reinvent ourselves, yeah. which I think is like the total opposite of what it was like meant to do. And maybe that's revisionist history, but like, Hey, just slow down and like breathe and yeah. not use everything as a metric for your better betterment, but as like, just to take a breather. Uh, and I've, I've felt that in a profound way as, I, as, as, you know, COVID persisted is like, what happens if, I'm not like, you know, incredibly different at the end of this. Is that okay? Like, mm. how does discipleship work when it's just like, let me just stop and, mm. and breathe for a second. And, uh, you know, I found a lot of perhaps freedom in the sense that like, I can just stop and slow down. And I would say that maybe that's a little bit antithetical to my generation's like assumptions of how ministry should work. Uh, like it's always going, always producing. And I think that, I don't think this is a new or novel thing, but I think that that's also been uh, present just because we've viewed the pastorate as if he's a CEO of a company. And mm. so there's, we, and I think there's some good ways that that's helped, but there's also some negative ways in terms of like the metrics, as you were kind of hinting at the metrics, the benchmarks of what it means to be a church then drive us instead of faithfulness to the word, which is almost, you know, almost uh, at, at odds with the ideas of really tangible metrics or like, or like benchmarks of growth. How how do you, how do you, uh, you know, uh, apply a statistic to faithfulness? Like as soon as you do, you're going to end up in like a really bad area of, of Orthodox faith. (laughs) And I, I've just, I, I think, uh, the book that I always mention is Zach Eswine's The Imperfect Pastor. Mm. Uh, that has been like one of the most profound books I've ever read. And one of the things that he makes, uh, a statement he makes throughout is just the idea that as a pastor, you're not called to be the Holy Spirit for your people. Right. And to me, like it, that, that shouldn't be a profound thing, but it is so profound because I can't be at uh, everywhere at all times for all people in, in all cases. And, and that necessitates a slowness. It necessitates a like resignation that there's going to be some things left undone and you have to sort of like walk by faith, which is you yeah, know what Paul yeah. says, not by sight, not by these tangible evidences, the demonstrable evidences that look at my success. It's trusting grace to do its work, trusting yeah. the spirit to, to work in his people instead of me being the one accomplishing um anyways that yeah i've just found a lot of freedom in the slowness yeah man it is is so helpful and and, you know our culture attributes slowness to lack of urgency or slowness to yeah the laziness 
And, and you know, we're not yeah. saying, hey, have no urgency. Well, the gospel is an urgent thing to the lost. Like we want to get the gospel mm. out. Um, and and we're not saying be lazy, like I said. You know, or, I mean, a pastor who's lazy, that's another whole issue. I recently saw in a yeah. forum, a guy was like, hey, like I've got a pastor on my team who wants to do, they want to do more remote work. Do any of you have a policy for that? You know, and I was like, uh, our, our policies get your job done. You know, and uh, and I was like, I don't know that that helps you any. And then there was like a really strong leader that commented on mine. He's like, No, I think that's absolutely right. And I was like, Oh goodness, because thank God, because I thought that I was a terrible leader for just making that my policy, you know. And um, but but he was like, No, that, that's absolutely true. It's like if you have a pastor who you can't trust to get the job done, well, that's an issue. You know, if they're just mm-hmm. lazy and doing nothing, they're not discipling people. They're not walking with people. They're showing up in the pulpit unprepared for their sermon. I mean, you know, the that's a problem. Right. And um, but but man, you can be slow and actually aid in all of those things like a slow life can act. A slow contemplative life can actually lead to more thoughtful and insightful sermons applied to the people's hearts and can actually lead to more gentleness and shepherding of your people rather than, um, you know, rather than driving them and and being a lord over your people. And so. yeah, man, there's a, there's a lot of help that comes from that. And, and in that slowness and in that idea of self-care, man, there's, I mean, there's, there's help that comes from, um, healthy diets as pastors, you know, eating, eating well, um, that gives you the right amount of energy and, um, fuel for what you're doing. There's, um, which I think, you know, for me, I finally found the, the right way for me to eat that just gives my mind thoughtfulness and energy and my body energy, um, and exercises that way. Hobby, you know, is one of those pieces. Um, actual friendship with people, you know, for the first time in my life, I mean, I've, the last three years, I've been more of a friend than I ever have at any other point in my life. Like I'm deeply engaged in friendships, give them a priority of, of my time. And, um, and, and then just your schedule, even, um, there, there's one leader, uh, Craig Rochelle talks about the, um, the art of energy management. We all talk mm. about time management, but he talks about energy management, learning how to do what you do best when you do it best. Right. And, and then part of that comes with what do I eat to do this well? And what do I, you know, how do I sleep to do this well? When do I go to bed to, do the, to have the best performance? And a lot of that, man, it's just an experiment with yourself. You're just learning, you know, through time of how do I operate and function the best? And so I know, Brad, that for me, if I try to study for a sermon in the afternoon, I'm going to get nowhere. I'm going to be frustrated. My thoughts aren't going to be good. By noon, um, if I'm doing any type of deep study, I'm worthless from that point through the rest of the day. So for me, my mm. deep study is just every Monday through Friday um, from from eight o'clock until typically 1130 or 12. And, uh, and whether that's for a sermon or that's for something else that I'm writing or developing, that's like deep study and thought. So I have no beef with not having a meeting during that time. You know, I'm just like, that's, that's not <laughs> yeah. my meeting time. Um, and that's when I work best at that. And then I have meetings for lunch and I have meetings throughout the afternoon and I do admin and inbox time and all those types of things in the afternoon. And then I work in the evenings a lot. Um, just kind of around home, like after my son's asleep, you know, and my wife's doing some catch up work and we have specific times we engage as well, but, um, there's just kind of a lot of that more in the evening, but, um, man, just learning when you do what you do well and then not being upset about it you know, and not, not having to feel like you have to apologize of, Hey, I can't meet at that time. That's my, you know, that's my study time. No, man, keep that. That's if that's when the Lord and you meet and think deeply together, then go for that, you know, type of thing. So those types of slowness and 
self-realization that actually will help you be faithful for the long haul. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, one thing that you mentioned that I that I wanted to touch on is just the idea of like a pastor developing like a hobby that he does outside of quote his vocation, um, which I found super necessary in my short amount of time learning about ministry. And it's, it's become more profound to me only because like my hobby is to write. And that's so like, it, it like blends and crosses over so much with my ministry. So there's almost like a time where I don't have, I'm talking about myself and maybe other guys can relate to that. Like I'm almost never like disengaged from what I'm doing because my hobby is almost equated to what I'm doing in terms of like ministry. And like, so can you give like some, maybe some wisdom in terms of like, Hey, like you need to, but maybe not impose a law, but like you you almost need to develop like another hobby outside of your vocation just for your, like your own mental health. I don't, yeah. Uh, can you just explain why that's so important? <laughs> Man, I, I am surrounded by people like you um, here because <laughs> uh, I'm by the seminary, right? And yeah, so, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you've got, I mean, all these people are like, well, my hobby is reading, you know, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. you, you read, you read 20 books a month for your dissertation, you know, for your, for your PhD. And then your hobby on top of that's read. Um, I love to read. I read a lot of books. But if I just have free time and I'm not having to read to study, I'm like, I'm not picking up a book. I read enough for study. You know, I, I have mm. for me, it's other things. And I hate writing. Right. So mm. um, I write as a discipline and I read as a discipline, not as my my joy. Um, mm. And so in one sense, I'm like, I can't even relate. Right? In one of those places. <laughs> but 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 here's what I would say, man. Um, and because and, I, I have these conversations with some of the guys quite often, in fact, several of our, you know, um, our elders or professors at the seminary and their lives are just, mm. I mean, they're wrapped around writing and reading. Um, I, I would encourage you if, if writing is what you really enjoy, then by all means, man, that's, that's not wrong. Like that's, that's fun for you. Have a writing project that has nothing to do with your church. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Have some writing project that's just you're writing a fiction, you're writing something that you're mm. going to, um, maybe it's just a theological thing that you're thinking about that you're like, man, I'd love this, but it's not necessarily for your church, meaning there's no expectation that it's done for a certain time for your people. There's no expectation that it's done a certain way for a certain goal with your people, right? It's separate from that to a degree. Yeah. If you're a re- yeah. if reading is your hobby, man, read, read fiction. You know, read something political, um, like a, a you know biography on a political leader or a world leader. Do read something that's different than what you would normally read for your church or for you know mm-hmm. your sermon study. Um, and so, so find find a, a corner of what you do if it overlaps that much. Find a corner of it that can kind of be disconnected at least for some of it. To just give yeah. yourself some mental distance from that, but. I'd be a fool to go, Hey, writing is what you really enjoy. That's like, what's fun to you and fills you up. Then, then you need to find a new hobby because you do too much writing for church. (laughs) No, God God made you that way. That's what you love. Go for it. Just find that little bit of a niche that gives you a little more separation from your actual location. Right. Yeah. And, and then, then maybe even, you know, you can add a different piece of a hobby to that. It's like, if you love fires, then, then write sitting by a fire pit. You know, just kind of go, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. invest in a nice fire pit. I'm going to build a fire pit. I'm going to buy a fire pit. I'm going to have a nice one. And I'm just going to, or man, I, man, I, I just love water. Like water makes me feel like I can breathe. So I'm going to go sit by the lake and I'm going to write mm. by the lake, 
you know, and that, that sort of thing. So you, you kind of learn maybe for those hobbies, they're in different environments even than what they are for work, right? To just kind of bring some separation that's there. Um, does that, does that make sense? Is that, is that helpful? Yeah, totally. It, It makes a lot of sense. And I, yeah, like I, I don't mean to like be too law oriented or legalistic, but I have felt like this sense of like my disconnected times, I'm still connected. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so I've been really deliberate in terms of like, you know, I'm not going to say this is true for everyone, but like really reducing my social media engagement um, just because I found it to be so un unhelpful a lot of times like i've i'm so grateful to people i've connected with but sometimes the 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 cons outweigh the benefits right Um, but going back to that slowness and i think that plays into that like there's sometimes where i feel like as a i don't mean to sound pretentious (laughs) but as a quote writer and i don't think you can say that without sounding pretentious but um (laughs) as a writer as a guy who wants to write like there's like that sense that i have to like hurry to do things and and not just let things like really gestate over a long period of time and it goes back to like i don't know where this quote comes from it's by eugene peterson um and i don't remember which book it is but he the he has a short little phrase that souls cannot be hurried and i just love the way Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. what that means uh, because it applies to discipleship you can't hurry a soul into becoming a more sanctified image of christ you yourself can't hurry yourself into becoming a more, you know, like more Christ-like and mm. you can't like hurry yourself into quote spiritual accomplishment or anything like right. that, which lean, lends itself to that image of just, I, I, I talked about this when I, I recorded a conversation with Dr. Dusing at, at Midwestern, mm. like, and I think it applies similarly to pastoral ministry is you can't microwave you know, theologians or pastors, right. they have to be put through a theological slow cooker. And I would say yeah. the same applies for like long-term ministry is like, be okay with being spiritually slow cooked you right. know, by the yeah. spirit, like yeah. over a long yeah. period of time. My let those, grill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were coming full circle. Yeah, man. <laughs> You're on a charcoal grill. You're not in the microwave. <laughs> and I, I just, I don't know. I, I found a lot of profound sense of, meaning and rest in that as I'm trying to position myself for, you know, a long, long distance ministry as opposed yeah. to short sprinting of ministries. Yeah, man. And Bradley, the, the importance of that man for you is that, or for anyone, you know, for, for us is that our, the soul of uh, the sum total of our identity is not ministry. Amen. Right. That's a That's part right. of our identity. We're also right. fathers and husbands and sons and friends and and then apart from all that we would just be us if none of those relationships were kind of in our life in a season there's the part of us that's yep. kind of separate from those and and so the, the the reason to write something that doesn't have anything to do with your church is to protect yourself from that trap of your whole identity is your church mm. right yeah. and and yeah. so you know for a lot of guys they're like, well, what's my hobby well, i actually believe that when you, if you're a father of like young kids, that in a sense your kids can be part of your hobby, right? It's like <laughs> I, I have I have a family hobby. Like, what do we as a family enjoy doing? I have like, what do my Saturday mornings look like? That is just like engaging and fun and help. When I'm doing that, I'm not thinking about my church or or the people. It's like my my mind and heart's all with my kids, 
What does it look mm. like for you and your wife? What's a hobby that the two of you have together? Whether that's good food and drink, whether that's movies, whether that's walks, like what's something you do? And it's like when I'm there, I'm, my mind and heart aren't other places. They're just with her, right? What's a hobby yeah. I have with my friends where my I can just be me there with them? I'm not Pastor Brad. I'm not Pastor Josh. I'm just Brad <laughs> and Josh, right? With these yeah, friends yeah. in this moment. What What is it that we do that, that engages that? And so, so I think the idea of hobby um, in that I, in, the, in this, this sense is a piece of helping protect us from our soul identity being ministers. Amen. Uh, I, I think that's so important. And so as we kind of like wrap up, um, what would you say to, you know, a pastor of any age, perhaps we've kind of covered this, but like, what would you say is one is to a guy who comes to you and says, I, I, I feel like there's so many expectations that I can't meet and I feel like quitting and I feel like giving up. Like there's been reports and scientific surveys or not even scientific, but just surveys given the last number of months of how many pastors are just leaving, like just dropping, leaving because, and it's not necessarily because there's some because of moral failings, but more often than not, at least in some that I've read, it's because they just feel like they can't meet what they feel like they need to meet. And so the expectation, especially during COVID and stuff like that, when things were so different and weird. And, and so what, what would you say to a guy who comes to you and, 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 and express it confesses uh, that that's what's on their heart? Yeah, I would, I would, first of all, um, first of all, I would say that makes sense, right? <laughs> like, like let's normalize that for a moment. Right. You're not the mm, anomaly yes. that you're just like, man, I feel like I want to quit. Right. That, that makes mm. sense. Every pastor feels like that from time to time. Um, yes. You know, there's there's the saying that says never, never quit your church on a Monday, you know, which which <laughs> I never understand because Mondays are my best day of the week. I Sundays yeah. fill me up. I'm excited. I've never had a bad Sunday, really, in a sense. And Mondays are my absolute most energetic best day of the whole week. So I've never really understood the saying, but I get it. Like, I don't get it personally, but I get it. Um, never quit your church on a Sunday. Um, and, and it's similar <laughs> where I could almost say never, never quit your church, um, on the year following a pandemic, <laughs> you know, type of thing, like, <laughs> like uh, yeah. on, on yeah. the months coming out of the most stressful time for pastors in like modern history. Don't, don't quit now. Yeah. Like, like Maybe give, give it, <laughs> give it some time, give it some time to slow burn and, and mm-hmm. to think through it. But I would say this, that feeling of that, that, that exhaustion and the, the expectations that are there, all of those things are real. So what I'm not saying is ignore all of those and just keep moving forward as you are, right? Don't, don't quit. Just keep pressing forward, man. You know, just, just keep going. Going to get better. That's not what I'm saying at all. Like, like there needs to be some help, right? If, if we are in a place where we feel like there is burden and expectation and exhaustion and we don't know how to, um, how to change that, or we don't know, we can't see daylight to get out of that. Like that's something within our souls going, uh, I'm in over my head and I need help. I mean, the beautiful piece of that, right. Is that all of us were created for relationships, right? None of us are created to live mm-hmm. in isolation. And so that's not a weakness that you need help, right? right? It's not something where you're like, man, look, look at me. I'm too weak to handle this on my own. It's like, no, it's exactly the way that you were created is to bear one another's burdens. Right. And there's right. something in the Bible about that, bearing one another's burdens <laughs> and rejoicing with yeah. those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. And 
And you actually, as a as a as a Christian, as a pastor, as a man, you're actually doing a disservice to your church, to your friends, to your wife, if you don't let them do that with you. They don't need a, a superhero dad or husband or pastor. They need a real dad, a husband and pastor, who, when they're struggling, can come to them and go, I'm struggling. I need help with this. And they walk with them and they find people to walk with them. So I would say reach out and, and get help. And, and a lot of guys might not have that. And so, man, I mean, you know, you found me because I, I tweeted that. And uh, um, and so, I mean, I would, I would do the same thing. Like, guys are welcome to reach out to me and uh, and have a conversation. I'd love to do that, man. If I wasn't pastoring my own church, um, I think what I would want to spend the rest of my days with is just encouraging pastors. Um, and uh, and so so there's me. There's, there's, there's also, you know, depending on your denomination, there might be options that you can go through that way. Um, and find, find a counselor. I, I mentioned my wife's agency, um, mycounselor.online, and, uh, and they do in-person and online counseling. And they're, um, they have really good counselors and a wide range of cost um, options as well. And so um, and someone can check something like that out or another place just to have someone to talk to and to express your concerns and your anxieties. Let someone help carry that. Um, particularly a Christian, right? Which is why I'm recommending a Christian yeah. counseling agency. It's like um, have have someone who loves the Lord and can help you learn how to carry the weight of living in a broken world. Um, you know, as you lead that, and so so press into some of those things, man. Pick, pick up Resilient Ministry. Read. I think there's some helpful stuff there. I mean, it talks about the five categories. I'll do this real quickly, but the five categories that each pastor needs to embrace for resilient ministry, um, being spiritual formation, right? Which is just that continual spiritual growth that we have going, the ongoing process of maturing. And as pastors, man, we so often um, neglect our own spiritual formation in this um, for for preaching, right? It's like, I'm going to study to preach yeah. and pour into my people, but I never let myself be poured into. Um, talks mm. about self-care, which we, you know, have talked about quite a bit on this podcast. Um, it talks about emotional and cultural intelligence. Right. Emotional intelligence being the uh, managing of your own emotions, um, you know, that you, we all are full of emotions. Emotions aren't bad or good. Right. They're, they're a neutral thing. It's how do you respond to the emotions that you have? Mm. And so managing those emotions is important um, and um, and receiving and responding to other people's emotions are important. Like most mm. pastors I see, they get themselves in trouble at their churches because they don't know how to manage their own emotions or how to receive other people's. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so how, how do you yeah. do those two things? Um, and then marriage and family. Um, you know, how do you how do you balance being a husband and a father um, in the midst of pastoring? And how do you give your family? Man, I'll never forget the time in my my first church was exploding. The first church plant was exploding. And in bed one night, my wife looked over at me and she just said, um, am I still an adventure to you? Hmm. And uh, and I had just like forgotten my wife in the midst of like my church exploding, my church had become like my adventure and not my wife, mm. you know? And it was like this serious wake up call for me of, you know, I, I need to engage my wife with as much energy. Um, and I would even argue more energy, the best of me, my wife and my children should get the best yeah. of me, not the leftovers. Right. Mm. And yeah, so, right. um, so, so really marriage and family. And then the last one being uh, management and leadership. Um, and the difference between those two, but just how to engage that. And all of us are gifted in that to some degree, varying degrees. But we, as a pastor, you have to engage both of those to some degree. Um, and so, you know, really the, the help that you need to be able to do that. But Resilient Ministry actually would walk you through those five things and help give you some insights and practical things 
on that. So I, I think that's a, a helpful resource there. Um, but, but yeah, man, ask for help. You're creative for, for walking with other people. And if you don't feel yeah. like you can do that within your own church, reach out and let, let some pastors walk with you. Um, you're loved, you're cared for. Um, and we we're with you. Let's, let's walk together through that. So. Amen. Well, I'll just say thank you for helping me. You've been a great encouragement to me. So I, I know that that's uh, your heart. And that's the, I think that's the heart of Christ too. Uh, the verse I was thinking of when you were talking is Matthew eleven twenty eight. come all uh, you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest yeah, yeah. Uh, spiritually and physically, I think is what Jesus is talking about there. And um, anyways, just thank you. And uh, you've been a blessing to me. Hopefully this, this conversation has been a blessing to others. So thanks yeah. again for, for hopping on. Absolutely. Thanks so much for your time and for having me. What a blessing. And I sure appreciate you, Brad. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. That's it for this edition of the Ministry Minded Podcast. Thanks once again to Josh for making time to come on the show. And thank you, as always, uh, for listening. Thanks again also for Fresh Roasted Coffee for sponsoring this show. Uh, if you haven't yet, go check out the link in the notes for the show and use the offer code. Uh, use all that and make sure that really helps the show uh, be sustained and continue. Uh, but also make sure you're subscribed to the Ministry Minded Podcast. Do that wherever you get your podcasts. We're pretty much on every platform. So uh, I appreciate all of that. I appreciate your support, your prayers, uh, your comments, your notes of encouragement. Uh, I always just am striving to be a blessing. And so if there's any, if there's a topic, by the way, that you would like me to cover in an upcoming show, uh, send that my way. Email me. Uh, and I'd love to be able to connect with you further on topics that, you, you know, that uh, you would find relevant and resonant. So anyways, I hope you've had a great uh, day. Whenever you're listening to this, I hope you've been encouraged. May God bless you. May his love and grace keep you. Amen.